Hello, lovely people, and welcome to the latest episode of The Finnovator. And today I'm pulling out a, uh, an episode, which is a bit of an interview with a client that I had the opportunity to work with uh, for a couple of years. Jason and Michael Chu uh, are brothers. Uh, and you know what? These two are some brothers that they've, they've got this weird getting on all the time thing going on. But uh, the first time we started working together, I was literally at a conference down in, uh, I think it was Melbourne. It might have been Adelaide, actually, and I was rushing and having a chat with them and in between running out of battery power on my laptop, which uh, was kind of weird. But um, we ended up working together, and in particular, what was interesting about the way that they approach this is most businesses start, and it's all hands on deck. They're just looking at how they can generate revenue, and as a result, they don't tend to bring on any non-revenue-generating resources. Well, they did it differently. They decided from the start they were going to bring on... uh, Jason, who would do the advising, and Michael, who would do the systems building. He's got a bit of a background in tech. Uh, and as a result, the starting on orange uh, topic of this is really about the fact that they, they started a little bit differently. In this session, we talk a lot about client engagement. And a big part of what I love to work with businesses on is how they approach their new client engagement process. You know, first contact, what that first phone call is, what a first appointment looks like, consultative selling, how to get a yes at the end, how to present it, all of that sort of stuff. And these guys are, I think, probably did more work during the time I was with them to perfect this than most other people I've met on the program, which makes it really, really interesting. Uh, That's about all you need to know. Jump in. I hope you get a lot out of it. If you're an early stage business, you're going to get a lot of uh, insight into how to do things. If you're interested in improving your client engagement, you'll definitely get a lot in here. Uh, But I hope you enjoy Starting on Orange with Jason and Michael Chu of Orange Wealth. Today, we're going to be talking to Jason and Michael. I'm pumped about this one. We've been working together, what is it, about, uh, coming out for two years now? No, maybe a year and a half? At least a year and a half, yeah. And I still remember the first time we sat down and had a chat. I was in, I think, the Adelaide Convention Center, uh, and I had to interrupt halfway through because I'd run out of power. So I'm running to try and find some power. But since then, man, it feels like uh, you guys have, I mean, I know, particularly Michael, you're very impatient to get to where you want to, and, and, and you're very structured, but... When you look back on it, there's, there's so much that's happened and so much the business has evolved and grown. So I want to sort of dive deep into that today and uh, go everything from how you got started, uh, what on earth you were thinking, two brothers starting a business together. Because most people, you know, they say don't start businesses with friends. It's a good, it's a good way to lose friends. But I, I don't know if that works for family. But then we're going to talk about, um, you know, the stuff you've done in client engagement. I'm really keen to talk about the service model stuff and really dive deep into, you know, the business you've built, which is ultimately about, you know, helping families take control, helping, I think, as you said, Michael, people just like you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just so we, before we kick off, I just want to double check. What do you guys want to talk about today, most of all? Set of interest? There you go. Put your <laughs> on, you? right. We're totally unprepared. Yeah, that's true. We're, uh, we're in your hands. We'll answer any questions though. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm then- prepared because he just came back from the week away. Yeah, so he's like, I got back last night, so I'm not. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really thought heaps about this. But I don't need. To, I can just. We can just tell, tell, tell the story. You've been to enough of these to know that uh, preparation is not required. I would like to start from the beginning. Uh, just give it a bit of background individually as to you know, where you came from, how you found yourself in this uh, in this particular neck of the woods. Michael, you were the first to to arrive on the scene, so why don't you? Uh, why yeah. Don't you- so I started. I was in corporate. I ran IT projects for big uh, corporates like banks and telcos. And I did that since I was at uni. At uni, I did a, like a business systems degree. So technology and business degree. Kind yep. of my way into that field. And then, yeah, got stuck in these big projects. And probably 10 years into my career, I found 
that it just wasn't very satisfying. It yep. worked really hard and it just wasn't the life that I wanted to live forever. Um, but I had heaps of responsibilities and uh, I didn't know what else to do. So um, for me, uh, I was in tech, so I tried a couple of startups with friends, as, as you were talking about before. Yeah. And they really quickly broke those startups. <laughs> so they, I wouldn't even call them startups. I, think I would call them ideas or concepts that we kind of whiteboarded and talked through and tried to get something going on. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't that they were bad ideas. It's just that was that the two people, and this was two different ideas over a couple of years that I uh, started them with, um, were really good mates. And we couldn't work out how to work together. Um, okay. In a way where we were kind of aligned and we were delivering in the same way and we kind of knew each other's roles. And a big part of that is never having run business before yeah, uh, and not really being sure. Of it. And, and, and the other part is I was, we were both working full time in both of those ideas. So a few years, uh, a few years in, Jason and I started talking about, well, maybe we should do something together as brothers and you know, what should we do? Um, and I reckon it took us two years to get started. Or was it about two years, Jay? Yeah, lots of Sundays. Yeah. So, so um, we, did, we did a bunch of stuff like working out um, why we would get into business in, in advice. And obviously a big part of that was driven through Jason's background. I'll let him talk about that. Um, what makes sense for, as, from, for each of our perspective. We did like personality surveys and, you know, try to understand what's in it for us and what would might break us. And like you said, we didn't want the business to have an impact on our our relationship as, as family. Um, so we spent a long time being cautious of it. And I'd just been through this experience with a couple of friends. So I'm still friends with them on a breakdown at the time. Um, so yeah, it took us a while. Um, the things that I really liked, and I'll talk about me personally, about advice is that you are helping people. So you, and we get a real buzz out of people winning um, and making change in their lives resulting from the advice we give. Yep. Um, at the time, a big part for me was that it was a model that was already proven from a business perspective. So the startups that I ran were big risk, big reward type things. Yep. Yeah. Shoot for the moon. And if you get there, you're going to be, you know, the next, the next, uh, Uber. Um, yep. but you know, only the 15th of a percent gets there. Um, this, so this was a proven model. Uh, and I did like that we couldn't, uh, design it in a way that it, it integrated with our lives. And that was a big, that was really important. It still is really, really important. Cool. Jason. So obviously uh, you were in the industry before Michael by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm just up to 10 years, uh, just about now actually. So I've, um, really different to Michael. I've never worked for a, in, for a business that has more than 20 people in it. I never worked for a corporate, um, I never worked in the CBD or anything like that. Effectively, uh, I worked at small, yeah, quite small um, financial planning practice. And then um, I was at, that business was licensed through AMP. And then AMP had, had this uh, program where you kind of effectively um, kind of start your own business, but it's uh, still owned by AMP. Sorry? Horizons. Uh, Horizons, but then post Horizons, they've got this other thing, um, which is it's a startup offer that they run where you. Okay you effectively buy into the AMP ethos and you can start um, taking on some of their clients and, yeah. um, and you know, they give you a loan and, and et cetera. And, and in essence, you are running your own business, yeah. um, but with the AMP, uh, you know, overlooking and giving you some help, helpful 
helpful hints on what you should and shouldn't do. Um, and then, so I was doing that for a few years. Um, and that was when, that was probably the couple of years that Michael and I were talking about what, um, what it would look like if we did something together. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so my experience has just been an advisor. When I was in the advisor by myself, not at a, at another practice, um, I found that I probably didn't do as much work with clients and had heaps of other jobs to do, like kind of, I'll say running the business if you want, it was a very small business. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was that hard to run, but you still had things to do. Um, and you think about marketing and think about process and all that stuff. And I actually wasn't doing the bit that I loved. <laughs> I was barely seeing quite well comparatively to, to now, if you like, or what I was doing prior to having my own show. Yeah. I wasn't seeing as many clients. I was, I was you know, separating my time in other areas. I'll ask a quick question. Is there anybody out there who works potentially, what maybe watching later, they do work for somebody or alternatively, you know, if you're a business owner and you've got employees who maybe haven't done the business thing, what are the number of, uh, what are the shifts that you found yourself making mindset or that, it, you know, when you made that shift from being an employee to being your gig, what's the main thing you need to get your head around to be, a, you know, make it successful? So one of the, there's, it's hard to answer, but one of the, there's a book called the E-Myth Revisited, which I'm sure heaps of people already read and everything, but it's, the, it's so true. You can, you can read the first half of it um, and, and you just, it really talks about the different roles in a business and you need to have them all to be successful. I only had one. I could, I could be the technician. I could, I could do the advice. Yeah. Um, and the other stuff is really, really important. And I, I said the one thing that I would say to anyone who's trying to start their own, it's really hard to learn all those different roles and do them all. In fact, it might be as hard, it might be possible to do broadly speaking. So that was something that I found. I found that the thing that I'd done for 10 years or for eight years at the time, whatever it was, um, I was still good at, but the other things, so management and marketing and process, I had no experience in and I wasn't good at it and the business needed it. Fair enough. So let's talk about the start. You're, uh, you sounds like you went through a bit of sitting down and you mentioned you did psychometric testing and all this stuff as, as brothers. Talk to me about that. That was really structured, right? So yeah, that's not, <laughs> most people go, yeah, we're brothers. We know each other. Let's just kick it off. You guys, you know me, I don't like to make mistakes and, uh, <laughs> mistakes in business so and we make each of them even though i don't like to make them we make each of them uh but when we were starting and i'd already had a couple of rounds of um uh let's say failing at other things um, yeah. i didn't want it i didn't yeah we, i didn't want us to put our, our, our friendship under under a lot of pressure so we just kind of tried to work through what what we both like and what we want to get out of the business and i think um it's it's a, it's a few years ago now. It's probably three or four years ago since we did this type of testing. We didn't do like a big Myers-Briggs or anything like that. We did some kind of online stuff. It was really about the conversation rather than analysing our personalities. Um, yep. But I think part of the outcome of that was to understand the roles that we would play in the business and what each other liked to do. And that kind of set us forward on this path of Jason playing that technical role, which was managing the advice and managing clients and me focused on operations and, and growth of the business. And over the over that period, we've kind of, you know, changed our, our view around the edges of that, but it still pretty much holds true that um, they're the roles that we play in the business. Okay. So let's, uh, let's chat about this. Maybe I might ask this to Jason. Most businesses, when they kick off, right, they yeah. go through that phase, right, we've got to get the revenue in the door. And, yeah. uh, then they ideally get the much revenue to pay the bills and, and, and they get some profit and now they can start to you know focus on systems and processes. You guys from, from word go, 
you've got uh, you're in a situation that most businesses wouldn't dream of taking on board a non like a traditionally non-income producing member of staff, and you've got to pay yourself salaries. And, and Michael, you've got a family, and you've got financial responsibilities. The pair of you. Talk to me about the early stages of that decision. You know, uh, how did you make it work? Did you ever look on it and go, "Holy moly, we've bitten off more we can chew"? Talk to me about that. Yeah, so we started, <laughs> Michael and I are both laughing, but um, we, we started um, just doing whatever we could, right? <laughs> Literally, if there was someone that wanted to talk to us and that we thought we could, um, uh, I want to say support, but yeah, get money in the door, uh, we went out and did it. Driving around, um, I was at people's homes in the evenings, um, we just did whatever, and it sucked. Right, yeah. like it wasn't. It wasn't what we got in the business for, and I can't remember how long in. It might have been six months in. Michael, I, 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 I can't remember if I came back from somewhere or something happened. I might have come back from my honeymoon even. Actually, but, um, it was coming back from my honeymoon, and Michael's like, "All right, this isn't this isn't what we signed up for." We went yeah. to have a steak dinner, and um, I remember the. Place. I don't know if you remember it's a steak. It was a steak dinner. We had a steak dinner. Yeah, we did. <laughs> um, like a Quentin Tarantino movie. Let's go have. <laughs> Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, oh, that's a couple elements. Michael can tell you one of the elements because whenever I go away, he learns more about the business, but he can tell you that himself. But um, <laughs> I shaked my head. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we went and had a steak dinner and we said, hey, this, is, this isn't this is right. Like where we've got no, we effectively had no product. We weren't clear on what we are doing. Um, we were doing different things to different people. Some things profitable, some things probably not profitable. It just didn't make sense. Right. So we... Um, so we decided that we were going to be really, really targeted, offer only one service to one specific uh, group of people that um, are people like us, um, yeah. so young families. And, um, and we designed a we designed a one way of working with us. I'll get Michael to explain all the benefits of it because he, he can explain how that supported the business and how we became really efficient because of it. Um, there were some challenges with it too, right? So um, we couldn't provide advice to specific people because they had a transactional need that the business wasn't set up to provide. But it, it really gave us, well, it gave us the chance to uh, sign up really good clients mm -hmm. to really believe in the work we were doing at the time. And we have evolved from, from that now, but it still holds true pretty well that we, we offer broadly one generic one way of working with us yeah um but yeah it was a game changer okay. that steak dinner was a game changer we were the total opposite of an efficient business we were bespoke for everybody probably as jason said broadly unprofitable in the service that we offered because every time we spoke to a new client we came up with something a service for them that's brand new yeah. um and that hurt so badly. <laughs> and we could, I was like, "How do we? How do we scale? Like, how do we get? How do we do this over and over and over again?" Yeah. So what we said is, let's just do one thing and do that one thing well to start with. Um, we know the types of people that we want to work with. Um, that makes sense for us to work with because we, we know their problems really well. So let's get deep on those that demographic of people, which is the young families Jason mentioned, and. Um, let's have something that's designed so that when they come in, we had this kind of A4 folded brochure. Yeah. Um, and when they came in, we put it after we'd kind of gone through an initial process, we put it in front of them and said, these are the types of problems that we solve. This is the service that we offer you um, if you engage us. Um, and this is how you, how you would sign up. And 
broadly speaking, we had people who said, hey, that's all the problems I've got. Let's jump into it. I can't believe you know me so well. And people that said, oh, I, I might have one of those, right? So we didn't, we didn't sign up any of those people. But it was, a really, it was a really good learning process for us about understanding people's problems and, yeah. and being able to articulate those problems back to them and seeing how they respond to that. Um, we don't use that anymore, but um, yeah, we, I, think, I think we got a lot, of it, lot out of that. The other thing that made us efficient at is once a client signed up, we could process them in the back end a bit easier. We didn't have all that, our, our systems in place, but um, we were kind of, everyone was kind of going through the same process, which you know, made heaps of sense. Beautiful. Now, when was this? Just give me a date. Oh, April 2016. 16. Okay. The steak dinner, April 2016. The timeline on the wall, the state. Cool. What other, what other lessons did you, I mean, there must've been a bunch of other stuff you did along the way, which, you know, I know one glorious failures, so to speak. Start from the bit where I, when I go away, uh, I think Mark, you talk about when I go away, but, um, the, the other thing, which is a massive learning is, um, cause Michael's new to, uh, yeah, Michael's new to running small business, right? You've always been in big businesses. Yeah. So, um, when we first started, you tried to learn all these new skills, heaps and heaps of new skills. Um, I think you should talk about that because that's been... Yeah. So that lesson was the first one in my mind. Uh, you talked about you talk about your story about, you know, kind of learning about you wanted to be the technician and, and that kind of stuff. With mine, when I started, I thought I could do everything and I'd just learn it and, and do it and I didn't, wouldn't need any help. Yeah. Um, and I still have this challenge, to be honest. <laughs> that was a big mistake. I'm doing a lot better at it. So one of the things that I have no doubt, if we went back to the start again, and you, so you need to get the right people around you, the right team is the only way to grow and scale our business at least. And that is knowledge and skills. It's also support and executing. And you kind of have to build it up over time because you don't have enough money to pay everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to incrementally grow what you need support on. So we've yeah. used you. Um, we've got, uh, we've, we've engaged a variety of marketing people along the way, all of who have uh, performed in different levels. <laughs> uh, we have a really good team in the Philippines now, but we've tried that a few times um, yeah. with different people. In fact, I think uh, staff and HR is something we could probably talk about at some point as a segment during, yeah. during this conversation, because it's, it's definitely something we've learned stuff about. She's so taking control already. Well, I'm trying not to. I'm, you know, I'm trying not to take control of the conversation. Uh, I'm doing my best, Drew. Um, oh, I know. I know it's killing you not to, isn't it? <laughs> you keep directing the questions to Jason. What's going on? <laughs> who, 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 would have, who knows? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, and there's probably, there's probably other key, there's, there's probably other lots of key areas of the business, which you just can't be deep experts in. So, yes. Um, that combining, combining working at what you need to know and what you need to outsource or so brand and brand and, and communications is another one that we found a really good outsource partner for, um, uh, combining that with knowing what you should work on and prioritize either right now or yeah, pr- pretty much right now. That was the other key learning because I, I, my habit my, my thought is we should do everything at the same time. That's my natural instinct. As you yeah. know. Sorry, how, many projects, how many projects you got this quarter? I've got six. Oh, six, okay. Uh, maybe three? No, six. We'll, we'll do six. And Stu, when I said that to you, you, already, 
we already cut two back. <laughs> so I felt pretty good about saying six. Oh, brilliant. Love so it. Anyone who hasn't, hasn't been experienced to this project, we try and every, every kind of three or four months put together a plan for the next 90 days and have between one and three projects. And Jason and I consistently, probably until the last, maybe the last quarter, yeah, the last quarter. Um, have had at least five uh, on our list. But, but, so I think that's a lesson that's hard to learn, but one that um, is important because it's hard to be really successful. And when I say deep, I mean like not just at the surface level of doing something, get really successful and be an expert at it yeah. in a very short period of time. You need experience and knowledge. Um, and the only way to get experience and knowledge is either to learn it yourself, which takes time. And if you're impatient like me, you can struggle with that. Or yeah. it's, to, it's to buy in that experience and knowledge. And that is, I think, I think that's important to, um, to do, but you've just got to then balance how many things you're doing, what the business can accept from a change perspective. Um, and we're definitely a lot better at that now than we, than we have been. I, I really buy into Tony Robbins is saying, I'm sure he didn't make it out, which is, you know, people vastly overestimate what they can get done in a year and under, underestimate what they can achieve in 10. And I think the more, the more complex your business gets, the more mature, the more people you get on board, the less you can take on board in terms of projects because, you know, you, you literally, it's, it's not just you jump on a bus and head off. You've got to get everyone on the bus and get everyone aligned and, and working together. So, yeah, it's um, the only reason so I've learned that through the years because I'm, I'm the same. Uh, and we actually have a, we have a, a task template or a thread in teamwork called Stu's R&D ideas. And the deal goes is I don't get to discuss a single idea with the team and, until it's sat on the R&D list for at least a week. And it's worked brilliantly because we just don't have these crazy free radical ideas floating around. So a good, a good book, and I know you've read this one, Stu, uh, on leadership is one I'm looking, reading at the moment by Jocko Welling, The um, Extreme Ownership. So yeah. if, you, if you're building a team of people, um, and this is a, definitely a lesson that I've learned. Uh, this is actually a really important one. I learned this at the start of the year. Mm -hmm. um, so the problem we had was uh, a, lot of the pro a lot of the issues we had in the business were coming to me to solve. And what that meant was... Um, I became the bottleneck for solving problems and the team was asking me for direction rather than solving them themselves. Yeah. So, um, my mind, the mindset I had was, okay, well, I'm going to take on all the issues and yeah. that became the leadership style that I had for the business and just wasn't right. So as we've expanded the team, one of the things that I've needed to do was change to be a lot more, to provide a lot more accountability to the team. And it's made, a big difference in, I think, my happiness in the business. And Jason, you can probably talk for yourself, but um, we're getting more stuff done, which is kind of the most important thing. And I'm not carrying around stuff in my head. I get to ask people questions about how they're going with things, and I get to check in on things, and I get to coach and teach people things, uh, yeah. uh, rather than having a huge laundry list of problems to solve and then never getting to them because. I'm not the expert in all those things and I have to learn it and fail at it and have get experience and then succeed at, at some later point. So we're spreading the responsibility of um, improving the business across the team. And I think that's made a big difference. And it's extreme ownership you're talking about, right? Extreme ownership. Yeah. If you ever get a chance to see Jocko Willink, I think he's six foot four, 200 million pounds. And he's just looks, he looks like a Navy seal. Uh, it's a good book. The audio book is, is excellent because, yeah. uh, as read by Jocko, and Jocko reads the it book is, like this. You can imagine if you went to war, these 
would be the guys you would take with you because they're just hard asses. They're really hard. It's like, it's like it was a bloody day down in downtown Iraq. We were. It was. It's just. It's great. You know, there's some audiobooks where you're just so happy that the the the, the author read it. Yeah. Like uh, anything by um, Malcolm Gladwell, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Neil Gaiman's another one who reads his own stuff. Russell Brand, awesome. But Jocko Willing, you just sitting there going, "That's awesome." Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast is really good too. It's totally off the wall. Ma- Malcolm yeah. Gladwell, literally, don't don't listen to Malcolm Gladwell books when you're sleepy. Yeah. It will send you to sleep. He's just got such an amazing voice. Um, Jason, uh, I want to know what have you learned, uh, particularly when you decided to go deep on that that niche, that family thing. I'd love to know what what have you learned about what works when engaging marketing. The services you provide. Just give us a bit of a bit of an overview of you know if anyone out there is targeting that market, what do they need to know that you you've already found out? Cool. So I'll talk more about engaging marketing. I'm not going to always touch on too much. Okay. We're still learning. <laughs> um, uh, but engaging. Look, what we so we work just to give context in case people don't know. We work with young families. Generally, they'll have um, uh, children who are primary school age or younger, and. The biggest change we've made to our engagement process, which is also the best change we've made, is um, really asking clients why um, why they're sitting in front of us, why they want. So they might tell me their goals, which is you know a certain house or put kids in private school or whatever they are, which all sounds pretty obvious and, and great, but um, it's not enough. Mm. It's really, really not enough. Um, so we're really, really honing on the why. You know, I know someone's seen that that Simon Sinek thing about why, but you know, so the number one thing for engaging for us is um, letting clients know that we understand their problems better than they do. Yeah. And then understanding really the reasons, so the emotional reasons, the emotional attachment as to why they want to renovate their home or why they want to put their kids to a certain private school or why they want to save more money, spend uh, spend less, which is a big problem for most people. So yeah. that's probably the number one thing in our engagement. Having a process behind it is super important. So we, whenever we meet with people, it's always the exact same process. We have effectively three meetings as part of our onboarding process um, and uh, some video, some face-to-face, depending on what meets clients' needs. But um, it's all really processed, which uh, means that every client gets the same thing, but also means that we don't cut corners and, and mm. shortcut and what have you. But, yeah, definitely understanding the emotional attachment to the goals people are trying to achieve is really important. And obviously trying to do it through marketing is important too but it's just a journey we're still on so give me like if i turned around we're having a conversation i'm gonna ask you a couple of questions about this and yeah we're having a conversation and i say look uh i'd like to be independently wealthy by the time i'm 55 what would your next piece on that be what would your next question or your next so it would be like um tell me a bit about that what does that look like and i'd probably say it means that i you know i don't have to worry about money in the bank we can travel where i want to and ultimately i just feel really secure about where we're at Okay. What would be the best thing about about having enough money in the bank when I travel? What, what would what's so important about that? Uh, the important part of that is um, I just feel like 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 we've made it and uh, we got over the hill and I could really enjoy life instead of you know always worrying about where the next paycheck's coming from. Okay. And how would you feel if you didn't have to worry about the next paycheck? You were felt like you got over the hill in life. How would that make you feel? That would be the culmination of a lot of hard work coming to a you know, fruition. That'd be great. That's okay. awesome, Brian. So just give us a, give them a bit of understanding of like everybody's watching now. What's just happened there? Because there's, there's three phases we've been through, right? 
Yeah, yeah, totally. So we've kind of started at the, top, at the high level and just got a concept of, you know, what you're looking for over a period of time, maybe 10 years or so. Yep. Um, we've then tried to get context on, we don't have to put exactly the numbers to it, but what does it look like? So, you know, we can't say, I want to live in a better home. It's like, well, you know, four bedrooms, pool, whatever it might be. In your context, it was you know, getting you to come up with what, what it is, what it looks like. So that, so that you have a vision. So it's bringing yeah. your vision forward. And then um, it's getting your emotional attachment to that vision. So making you feel really excited about achieving that vision. You guys have worked really hard to get this right. I mean, I, I think right from when we started working together, this was a real focus. And I think more than anybody else, uh, probably more than anyone else in the program, you have been obsessive about this to the point where you're like tweaking and going back and changing it. How, do you feel like you've got it right now? We're at about 80% maybe. Okay. There's, I know there's still um, bits that we need to add to it. Yep. Um, the main bit that we need to add is around the prescriptions. Okay. Um, we do it, but we're not, uh, we could do it better. Okay. We could do that bit better still. And what's the difference when you sit in front of clients or just in executing it? What's, what do you feel are the main differences between what you used to do and uh, you know, what, you, what you now do or what you've got to? So conversations are really, really, really deep. People are showing a lot of emotion in the meeting and it's not about them. Like they don't have to, but they're actually for the first time getting this feeling that they can live really awesome lives and that we can help them with it. Yeah. Um, so it's just the relationships we have with people, are, they're so much stronger than they ever have. Yeah. Um, and they really value, they really value the conversation. I'm like, Mark could ask as well, because he Michael comes to a lot of meetings and he sees that maybe differently from the way I see it because, um, you're not asking the questions as often as I am. I'll tell you the big difference that I see is that Jason does this summary. So that was your kind of uh, role play. And we've got a role play in there for, for, for nothing, which is good. Oh, I really got smiling as you got to role play. <laughs> role play is hard. I love it. The role playing playing's hard and nobody feels comfortable role playing. And Stu didn't tell me we were doing that. So thank no, you. No, Jason's, no, so Jason's literally, I could see him as eyes. like, don't do this. <laughs> Uh, so the, 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 the one point which is key is Jason does a summary uh, and I, I won't do it as, as articulately as Jason, but he basically says, so if you were 55 and you had enough money in the bank to live and uh, you could travel where you wanted and you just felt like life had worked out the way it should have by that time, yeah. um, would that be great? And they just, everybody just leans in and they lean in and, they, and that physical kind of engagement or connection that, that it creates is really powerful and it gives yeah. you the opportunity to provide them advice because they have got that you've understood them in a really big way personally. And yeah. then um, that gives you the, that gives them the trust to say, yeah, cool. Listen, I think you're the right partner to work with. Love it. Hey, we've got some really good questions. I don't want to miss those questions. We are going to talk about marketing and we are going to talk about staffing and HR. Uh, Daniel says he loves the orange. Well, he thinks the orange wealth model of being very specific is awesome with his service offering. You know, one type of client, one offer. His question is, how do you deal with a situation where a pre-retiree couple, 1.2 million super, debt-free, they want retirement planning advice? He says they could easily be a $5,000 a year client. Would you turn it away? I don't know that we'd turn them away. Okay. But the, the reality is, I think it's because of the branding and the communication, the way we, we people know who we are. We don't get that referral. We very, very rarely get that referral. Um, we did recently have someone come to us who was pretty much retired um, 
and uh, they had a meeting with us and they, we knew them through through a friend. And um, and we did have a meeting with them, but I don't it, like Mark. You can, you can get your opinion. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Mm. Um, we don't. We don't turn the way. The answer is we don't turn the way, but we're not built to service them. Yeah, from an engagement perspective, so we can do the advice. The, the the technical part of the advice is not a challenge to do, but our engagement process is really focused on us mm. finding our ideal client, and that's uh, that means that when we sit in front of them, we're really strong. Um, but then we've got to find as many of them as we need to fill our fill our pipeline. So that's the, that's the that's the challenge of it. So we really so when we sit in front of the, the the couple with a couple of kids, like it's a very 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 a confident conversation because we kind of know where the conversation is going. We've done it so many times. Um, what we did do though at the start of this year is open up our process to allow us to sell to other people as well, to provide services to other people as well. And um, that has been good. We're still, uh, we're still developing that part of it. Um, so we don't just offer one model now, um, but we don't necessarily promote that we've got three models either. Yeah. Uh, we kind of lead them along the way and recommend the right model for the right service model for, the, for that particular client. It's good. You know, any conversation I have with businesses, niching is always the one that people push back on. And they always come with this thing, how can I say no to people? And I, I, I want to flip it around and say, it's not about saying no, it's about gearing up your business. So for exactly that, the marketing is focused on trying to talk to a certain market instead of everybody. When you bring somebody on board, you, you can explain their problems better than they can because you've just, you've got deep experiences. So it's that, you know, and if you get this right, it's not a case of you saying no to everybody. It's a case that everybody who walks through your door is the people you want to work with. And it doesn't happen overnight, but that's, yeah, it's not a saying no thing. It's more a gearing the business up to attract the right, the people you want to work with, right? We, we know our clients' problems probably better than they know them when they first walk in the door. Yeah. Because we see them across so many of the same types of clients. And that, uh, that um, they relate to that. And yeah. they also relate to us having the same problems that either they're going through now or they're going to go through in the future. And um, that, that builds trust pretty quickly. I bet you've got a list, haven't you? Yeah. The problem. <laughs> These are the 20 most common problems that our clients have. Love it. Um, you know, I'm going to pull Jason. Brian, we'll get around to your question uh, shortly. By the way, who do, you guys, who do you guys use for outsourcing? Just out of interest. VA Platinum. VA Platinum. Uh, Brian, 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 Brian Jones is an amazing. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think uh, I don't think Brian would forgive me if we didn't mention. But no, I didn't realize that. Brian been, is on. Brian is on, on the call. I've been on the webinar asking me to plug in. So there you go. Sorry, Brian. I'm just stuck here in it. Look, and to, to not in all seriousness, everybody I've heard who's been using VA Platinum has had a pretty good experience. So. Uh, I don't know. You must have some good staff in the background there, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Okay. James asked a great question. Uh, the frustrations of process beyond a great title for a book. Let's, um, dude, I hope you got a microphone. Uh, cause I'm going to, James, are you there? Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. With that. Um, I, I suppose that we all struggle with getting the process right in our practices. And I think, as the industry changes, we have to often morph our processes to meet those changes. And I know I've spoken with Jason Michael about this, so probably not a surprise to ask this question because I've spoken to the guys about this a bit. So it's about, you know, how do they keep on top of their processes, uh, you know, 
how do they adapt their processes as things change within the industry? Gotcha. Um, any things that they've done well or things they could do better from a process point of view, etc. I feel like this might be a Michael question. Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay. Well, so we, we've done prices a few times, as you'd expect. And it's, it's not a one-off thing. It's mm. a continuous activity. Um, the first time we did it, uh, uh, we had a support staff member in the office that Jason was working with. And we got that person to help us kind of, I kind of gave them a structure and then they kind of wrote a whole bunch of process. But what we didn't realize until later was that they were the only ones following the process and they weren't really necessarily following it. They just written it down. So I kind of figure for me, that wasn't, we actually didn't have process at the time. We just had people who knew how to do their particular jobs, even though we had stuff written down. Um, the big turning point was when we hired more than one person where we had two people supporting Jason in the financial advice process. Yes. And they had different roles. So they were doing chunks of the process each rather than going from the start of maybe client engagement through to, you know, um, a piece of advice being created. Yeah. Everything broke. And Stu, you've kind of, I think you've got some stats on or numbers on when you add staff to the business, how things break. Well, for us at three people, Jason and two support people, uh, it all broke. And uh, the outcome of that was that we let uh, our... our um, our response times were really slow and the quality yep. was poor as well. Um, yep. Plus at that time, we had a whole rush of new clients come in. Yep. So we felt pretty crap about the whole thing. Um, uh, so we kind of started, OJ, would you say we started again with the process at that point? Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, James- well, we, brought in, we brought in the whole, um, one thing that we designed was the, a process about creating processes and then, um, like, so we, the other thing is people built their own processes, but because they were so different. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we put in a framework, um, yeah. and then we taught the framework. This is at the same time that I was changing my mindset around giving accountability to people too. So it all yeah. kind of culminated at the same point. We had some frustrations in the business because we weren't living up to our standard of service or the quality that we wanted to provide people, our clients. Um, and we had new staff on board um, and I needed, to I needed to give stuff off my list to other people so that yeah. we could grow the business in a scalable way. So uh, we built a framework, which was, you know, you helped us with that framework. Um, then we, recorded it using the system, the new systems that we we wanted to put in place. So we've got Guru um, as our kind of knowledge repository. Yeah. Um, so we use Guru and, you know, we recorded videos on, on Newsloom as well. I've got a, by the way, uh, any, sorry, this is right. If anyone's using Guru, double check the pricing because I went to look at uh, how much it costs now and I think they're at about 380 a month. I kid you not. There's a legacy pricing in there, but... I started doing a bit of research and I found a guru alternative called Zuzu, Z-U-Z-U.ai. Reached out. It was free. So I signed up and I'm like, okay, I, I'm not putting all my stuff into a free thing. Anyway, I made contact with the guy who built it. It's a guy called Jay Kumar out of India. Lovely chap. Having a chat. He's sort of, um, we're doing a bit of work together, but lovely to ch check it out. Anybody who's on the, the, the call and they're you know, using guru or whatever, it looks like a really good guru alternative and it's free at the moment. Yeah, we're definitely legacy pricing. We're definitely. Yeah. Like, definitely keep an eye on that. Bucks a user a month. It's, it's 380 is crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. Yeah, we wouldn't be on it. We wouldn't be on it for that. Um, yeah, Pam's sweet process is a good one. There's a few of them process street, sweet process. 
uh, there's Guru, Zuzu, use sweet process, it's good, but the big problem I have with sweet process, I don't know what you guys think about this, it sits outside your daily workstation. So you literally have to open a different site, whereas with uh, Guru and Zuzu, it's actually a good Chrome extension. Uh, so Guru, yeah, Guru, I think Guru is working well for us now. We implemented it twice as well. The first time we implemented it, we didn't use it. And uh, now I think, I think we've had a mental shift to making the team accountable for cards that they execute on. So oh. I, I, and the, I, this is the biggest smile that I can have is when I'm, list, I'm in the office and Jason's talking to one of the, yeah. one of the team at BF Platinum and Jason's saying, well, have you checked the Guru card? What does, the, what does the guru card say? Well, let's go through it. Let's update it. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. <laughs> You're a monster. I well, get a kick out of that kind of stuff. Uh, That's more is- because my, uh, I'm not the best at the process. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. The, I mean, the one thing I love about um, plugging Zuzu, you can actually, uh, staff can actually ask a question through Zuzu and I can write the answer and it gets added as a card. So you can do that in guru. Going on, yeah. but- so what was James? Um, I don't know what you kind of feel like we've gone off track for James. We have totally gone off track. Yeah. So and you need to bring me back because I can't. So because uh, ZU ZU.ai, um, in the interest of not upsetting Michael's uh, sense of order any further, let's talk about staffing and HR. Okay. James, okay. sorry if I haven't answered your question. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about you guys have been through a few iterations. Uh, eventually you've settled on BA Platinum. Um, plug that one again. But yeah, talk to me about what you've learned about staffing, HR, what's good, what's not good, what doesn't work. Jay, why don't you start, Jay, and then I'll jump in. Yeah, cool. Okay. I mean, we've kind of gone through different, yeah, heaps of different options. We've had people in the office. Now we have um, effectively five people, if you like, that are all outside of our office. So Michael and I sit together and the rest of the team's um, remote, mm-hmm. virtual. Um, I think it's been a big learning. The, the one thing that I'll come back to, which is, we're, we're, Michael and I say this all the time at the moment, we're the most happy we've been with our, our team, we're most confident in our team as it is today compared to it has been in the past. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's the it's documenting processes, um, allowing the team to take ownership. So um, as opposed to the team just doing tasks, uh, actually um, taking ownership, trying to build their own area, make it more efficient. I think that's really, really been helpful yeah um, jay what were the problems that you found with some of the first rounds of um going overseas or remote with the staff like yeah that? so training was super hard yeah training so was- getting people up to speed in the way that we work is is really really hard yeah um, some of the things which i was just i didn't expect to have to i didn't expect to go so wrong were things like uh quality so attention to detail and quality we found some a lot of problems in that space definitely prioritizing so we all regardless of what job we have within any business most of us have more jobs to do in a day than we can fit in um mm. and it's so different for the for our team so a huge thing is for the team to know what is the priority to work on versus what's not yep. and that communication's really important so we actually these days we have we do that we do it every day um what's the priority for the day um and we do it more we all every week as well but every day we kind of get a, a bit of a glimpse of it um yeah so that was the challenges, definitely. Um, but yeah, people, me expecting people to have things done and especially expectations. Okay. Expectations is a huge one. I think often there's a feeling that Jason could get it done faster if he just did it himself, which is, that's the, yeah. that feeling is the worst feeling because you don't feel like you're getting ahead with it. You feel yeah. like 
failing at setting up this team. We basically set up the team from scratch again this year, right? Um, yeah, definitely. We had somebody. We had a, our first staff member um, moved to Japan in November mm-hmm. last year, and then uh, we had someone in the Philippines that wasn't working out, so she moved on in January. We had another lady start with us in January in the office. Yeah, she moved on for personal reasons a few months ago. While we've been setting up this team with uh, with Brian in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and we actually had a, a team member leave quite recently as well. Um, so we've churned through lots of different people. Actually, I remember some advice that uh, someone told Jason and I before we had hired our first staff member. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's got a team of 50 people, so he's a big financial advice business. Um, right. What's his name? Paul. Anyway, it doesn't matter, yeah. Paul Kearney. So, uh, Paul Kearney, I think, yeah. Paul, yeah. Um, he said, whatever you do, your first hires, you will always... You you won't you won't make the right decision with your first ones. <laughs> we're probably on to our fifth or sixth, and we're still learning heaps of stuff. I think when you first hire people, there's a certain naivety around it. It's like, oh, everything's gonna be fine. And I think as you go on, you make a couple of mistakes, and you realize, okay, you come, you look at it with fresh eyes. But and I think when you do get someone great, and you can recognize their potential, and you can see that they they care as much about the business, it makes it that much sweeter. Yeah. So I think our attitude towards hiring now is about being able to take on some responsibility for parts of our business yeah. and for being able to, to improve parts of our business um, within their role um, in an ongoing way. Yeah. Uh, we have you know, one of the, a couple of things we do to help with that. We have a monthly retrospective where we uh, all of the team members sit down and we just go through what's working well, what's not working well, what puzzles us and what needs to be improved. Um, and the thing that that drives is the next month's worth of well, yep. what should we, what project should we work on as a team um, yep. to improve things? Because the team knows the problems. They feel it every day. Um, and if you get two months in a row with the same thing, then, you know, I feel like I'm not doing the right job because I'm not, yep. I'm not helping push through it. So, um, so there's a whole bunch of kind of tools or tech- techniques that we've kind of come across along the way that help us um, improve communication, prioritization, the process and quality stuff. We, we, there's heaps of checklists in the business now that never used to be there. Yeah. Uh, we love checklists. It's great. Whenever I see people go through checklists, I'm like, this is excellent. Um, so it, you just got to, I don't think you can listen to a conversation like this and just start putting stuff in. You've got to feel some of the pains to understand what your problems are to solve, to then go about solving them. At least that was our experience. One of the things that we say is the quicker we feel like effectively, the quicker we try stuff, fail stuff, the quicker we're going to be successful with it. Um, so you got to get in there, feel the pain, then come out the other end. Yeah. It's like experiment a lot, experiment cheaply and don't fall in love with your own ideas. Yeah. Like yeah. I think, uh, what is yeah. this? Stephen, um, Stephen King has this thing about kill your darlings. It's like wherever possible, just kill them because uh, while you think it's a good idea, if, if, if the data or, you know, the actual reality of it is not showing up, then you need to be able, you need to be willing to sacrifice them. The thing that hurts us the most is when we feel like we've let a client down, even yeah. if the client doesn't necessarily feel that way, that's, that gives us the most, the biggest emotional feeling, but it also spurs the deepest thinking about how to solve it. Can we, there's a couple of questions I definitely want to ask. Can we talk a bit about the, um, is it worth touching on the, the f- little phone campaign you did recently? Oh, this is the this the is ring around. Cool. Yeah, when we sat down and had that uh, conversation, yeah, and you were yeah, 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 sure, yeah, happy to so talk. We about had that. a conversation. You got, I think you got on the blower, and you were like, you know what? We feel like we're letting clients down. 
yeah. I feel like we're just not delivering our promise. And I, and I was, I listened to it and I was like, okay, fine. Let's sit down. I'm happy to work with you guys and, and revise this offer and all the rest of it. But first, we should probably just double check as to whether that's actually a thing or whether it's just inside your head, right? And then Jason was like, what do you mean? I said, well, let's just choose, you know, I think 10 or 15 of these people that you feel you're letting down and give them a call and ask some questions. Do you want to pick it up here? Yeah, for sure. So we had a, um, we thought or our, we thought that clients' expectations were, actually, we didn't know we didn't know the client's expectations. So as part of our engagement process, we weren't, um, we weren't initially anyway, this is clients we signed up probably 18 months ago, et cetera. We weren't being really clear about what their expectations were and weren't really clear about what we were, I'm not saying what we were offering, but um, you know, making sure that we're meeting everyone's expectations. So for a while there, I was like, well, if I don't know their expectations, I just, I just feel like I'm not meeting them. I feel like we're letting clients down. So that was an assumption. Uh, and Stu's, thought was well let's just go and ask them <laughs> easier so um <laughs> so I, did. I called a bunch of clients and asked them um you know how they're going i said what's working well what's not working um is there anything else we could do for you that we're not most clients either said hey i really want to come see you and have come in and we've done new advice for um or have said hey look it's really on us we've been so busy we apologize for not engaging you as much as um, as much as we said we would. Uh, so my assumption was wrong. Um, broadly speaking, my assumption was wrong. There are some clients that was that we probably um, weren't engaging as much and they weren't engaged with us as much. Mm. And that's probably because of different reasons, um, which is cool. That's part of it. I think that's a natural attrition that's going to be, be there. But for the most part, especially the really good clients that I thought I was letting down, they actually thought they were letting me down. <laughs> Love it. And our yeah. business has changed as well over that period. Um, so clients that we, yeah. work, we, we see today, their expectation of the service they get from us is different to clients we saw 18 months ago. And Definitely. Because um, we've worked a lot on improving the service that we provide. And yeah. part of that is telling people about that when they first come in to see us. But we may not have gone back and had that conversation with some of the clients who signed up early on. So we, that's part of our, our kind of communication process we need to work through as well. And that's, I think, where you're at now. You're going back and transitioning the old world clients, which are still very, you know, the advice that you're giving back then is still very, you know, still great. But I think you guys are so confident in the way you do it now that it's like, you know what, we need to bring them across. And, it's actually about the service. It's not about the specifics of the advice. It's about mm -hmm. the service we offer and supporting them through making decisions and a whole bunch of other stuff. And they just, some of them probably just don't know how much they can or should engage with us. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm kind of excited about re-engaging some of those clients in a in a deep way. That's good. Yeah, you've well. got the saying. I can't remember off the top of my head, so I'll get I'll put you on the spot to for you to remember your own saying. Go on. But the one about if clients don't see a future. Oh uh, yeah, clients. That's not mine. It's actually uh, it's Taki Moore. He said it. Uh, I was in a workshop and he said, "What you have to understand about retention is this simple thing: clients will leave you when they run out of future." And this is particularly important for, for businesses that service Gen X and Gen Y. And you, you do a bunch of work, maybe you sort the cash flow out and that looks okay. Or you get the insurance in place. And if you're not spotting that point where they're feeling like full or oh, we're done and you're not actively engaging going, so you're at this stage and there's this stage. And if we get this right, we get to go on that stage. In other words, now we're at a stage where we can start to you know, use some of that capital and reinvest and start to build up a portfolio and ride. If you don't sort of paint a picture of what's ahead, they don't see it. And so uh, one of the communication pieces, particularly with businesses like yours, 
is you've got to be constantly thinking about what's the next level ahead for my clients. What's the next step and what's the next step if you want to retain them long-term. Nick, I, that was a really long-winded way of saying what you wanted me to say, right? I thought you were going to say five words. <laughs> um, three more questions that I want to ask. The first one, uh, John Mansara asked. I feel like this is a bit of self-promotion, so I'm going to hit record. But um, he wants to know, I think we know where they were. How, you know, how has what we've worked on helped you guys to gain traction, efficiencies? You know, presumptuously, I'm assuming it has. But anyway, I'll hand it over to you. <laughs> Can we talk about the sales yeah, yeah. So Michael's probably got different uh, benefit out of the out of the working with you and the team. And I say the team because it actually includes all the all the businesses in the program. Um, yeah. My one's definitely the sales engagement. So we that little role play we did before. Yeah, we, I put a lot of lot. So you got you give us a framework to work within, and you have all of the, the online modules, right? And you do you and I've done one on ones. Uh, we've done role plays together you come to the office and they role plays with me, Stu, right? So yep. we really worked on getting this to where it is. But our sales, our sales engagement process for a new client is, I'm going to say we're at 80%, but at 80%, it's amazing. I love it. I think it's excellent. And every time a client comes in that is within any, re, any anywhere close to where I do a client, um, I know that they're going to be clients for a long, long time. And that has come out of, yes, your coaching and the um, role plays that we do, <laughs> But um, it's also come off the modules and all of the pre-work that you've done um, so that, uh, yeah, I could get in there, learn it, tweak it to our business. Um, so our sales engagement process is awesome. And, um, and it's definitely because of the work we've done with, uh, with your business. So. Thanks, man. Uh, so no. for me, I'll give it, there's probably heaps, right? But I'll give a couple. I love the catch-ups with everybody. I love hearing everybody's stories. I'll learn heaps from someone who's not, been in the industry my whole career. I learned heaps from talking with the rest of the crew and understanding what they're working on or what they're going through or where they've been. Um, it's like, I reckon 50% of the value I get is from that um, because their insights, it's like this conversation, their insights into, into things that you could do differently. Um, and then the other thing, I know there's lots of modules and I won't talk about any, any specific ones, but is that it shortcuts me getting to the outcome that I need. Mm. So, um, when we started and when we were kind of in the early stages, I would do a whole bunch of research about a topic. Mm. I would skim the surface and I would jump online and read lots of articles and try and learn about it. And then I would speak to somebody else and do the same research on a different topic. And I would do it over and over and over again. I would never get deep on anything. I'd never get anything done. Yeah. So uh, I really like having someone to tell me to prioritize and to say six is too many, we should do three. And I think we're kind of in the same, we're in agreement now. Yep. You and half uh, but then also a shortcut, giving me a pattern or a shortcut or a framework to, from getting to the idea or the, the topic that I want to deliver on to actually starting to execute it. That's really key. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. I think the, the underlying thing is, I mean, I remember when we first started doing this, you guys were just like, right, we've got the project management methodology, put it on the wall. You had your post-it notes. And at the end of the day, you know, you can give two businesses exactly the same content, but at the end of the day, you grab it, you run with it, you book in the time, you have these engagements with the team, you're very, very clear about it, and your execution is, you know, is top notch. So at the end of the day, um, you, you the guys have made it, have put it into play, and that's that's what's sort of um, very satisfying to see that sort of So that's the advantage of having me in Jason as a team because yeah. I'm not giving advice. So I actually, my role is to do the projects and 
I think I, I spoke to someone in the program. I can't remember who it was early on. They didn't quite understand why I was there, which is, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a, a fair conversation. Uh, but we are trying to scale our business and we're trying to do it faster than we would have otherwise done it if we were both on the tools. Absolutely. Uh, and I won't ever be on the tools. It's not my intention to ever be an advisor. Um, but we are trying to grow the business to a scale that is, yes, is quicker than um, what we would have done if, if we were... Uh, if we didn't have this structure, plus we're also playing to our strengths, I think. Which is, I, I think you've been yeah. able to play, you've been able to fight this battle on two fronts, which is one is the, the engagement piece. The second front is to make sure the back office is sorted. And I think, I think the, the, you play, there's a balancing game to be had. You don't want to be playing too much in the system space when your focus needs to be on revenue. But I think now you're in a position where a lot of the things that businesses would be at your stage now have to think about, you're already, you've already built part of it. So you can start to accelerate the, the journey a little bit more, which is going to be really exciting. Yeah. PJ Cameron says, I love your focus on the human soul elements of advice. These, challenge, these challenges change decision-making outcomes and therefore lives. I totally agree. But how do you quantify the value of advice when it comes to the fee discussion? Good question. So she's got this module, right? And what you're now kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But she does have the module, right? The 20%, 10%, the other one, yeah? Yeah. Totally, yeah. So... Um, the value grid one, right? Value grid, right, yeah. Yeah, we have Did to you? go, right, what's, yeah. the what's the financial benefit? Am I providing at least, yeah, 5, 10, or 20 times value? Yep. Yeah, yeah. But for a client, so I'll give, without role-playing, if a client comes to me and says, in the next 10 years, I want to live in a house that's worth X amount of money, looks like this, and the outcome of that is I get to um, have amazing family experiences. It's a central hub for my kids to bring their friends and um, have heaps of family memories. And I give my kids the best opportunity in life through um, the education that's important for them and, and similar things. And we go on holidays all the time and, um, uh, and we get to create memories. I'm trying to do it quickly, right? So when a client tells me those things and I turn around and say, cool, I'm going to make that happen with you. We're going to partner together and you're going to have that outcome. Um, now I'm going to charge you a fee. They don't care the fee mm. because they told me that they want to have all these family memories and they want to have um, their kids bring their friends over and play in the pool and they want to make sure their kids get the best opportunity in life through what they call is a good education. Um, whatever you charge, five grand, 20 grand, a few grand, you know, isn't, is nothing compared to those outcomes. So, um, so we don't have a conversation about what the fee is. Clients generally haven't said, oh, that's too expensive. Like, no client said it's too expensive. Maybe we should charge more. Yeah. Um, but I think uh, you don't need to talk about your fee if you uh, are able to get clients to talk about their real outcomes are after. So family memories and stuff like that. It's like, um, have you ever seen that YouTube advert, It's Not About The Nail? If you haven't, go and check it out. It's this great short film of this girl. She's got a nail in her head. Yeah, like, I have actually. Can't work it out. What the heck? It's just an achy feeling. He goes, well, you've got a nail in your head. And she goes, it's just like you. You're always trying to solve my problems. But I guess the point is people don't come to advise. You know, they, they don't, yeah, they don't really, um, they don't want to roll their super over and they don't necessarily want to bookkeep. But they want the, the deeper stage benefits of that. And when you can, I think, I think when you can connect with that and say, well, this isn't actually about the super, this is about this thing you want to do and the outcome you want and taking charge and acting like an adult and working towards these things. Yeah, different, different, different proposition, different sensitivity equation. I think there's one thing, Michael, give me one sec, but if they don't have a vision, Stu, we're talking about this, right, as well. Yeah. 
if they haven't got a vision, they can't des- design the emotion and find the emotional attachments to things yeah. that we can't, we can't partner with them. doesn't work. Doesn't so work no vision, no plan. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Okay. A couple of process things as well. So one is we test the fee with them in the first meeting, but we don't confirm it. So okay. we give them a range. At that point, if they're not happy to pay for advice, they'll just say, we'll think about it, right? So that's their opt out. At the end mm-hmm. of the first conversation, we give them a range of fee. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that we will say whereabouts we think it is, but we'll come back and confirm once we've done some work. Great. Um, there was another point, but I've lost it. But but I think that's a, that's a, that's a good way to kind of pre-commit them to um, what the fee is that's coming. And yeah, you want pacing is a big thing too. Pacing, yeah. Oh, the other one is that we're trying to, we try and solve their number one problem. Yeah. So there's value in solving their number one problem. Um, yeah. And if they think they're going to get an outcome on the reason that they came to see us, then the outcome is what they're looking for. And they tend to be really time poor people that we work with. So they can't go and do a lot of work. They're not going to go and see lots of different advisors to try and work out what the difference between fees are. If they think it's reasonable for what their problem is they're solving, yeah, yeah they'll go for it. And what is your range? you mind sharing? Uh, I'll share it and you'll love this because the way I share it, it is um, between $7,000 yeah. and $3,500. Perfect. Okay, good. And everyone always asks, why do you put the big number first? And we'll, <laughs> if anyone wants to know that, uh, you can ask Jason. He'll tell you. <laughs> um, last question, which is a doozy given what we've just spoken about for from Brian from VA Platinum. Their vision, what's your vision for yourselves five years from now? Where do you want the business to be? Where do you want what do you want, where do you want to be? Okay, cool. So we do this. We've done this a couple of times, um, sitting in Stu's program on different tables. <laughs> we always say the exact same thing, which is really good. But we want a business that has something around, and, and we, we always give out. We always put this bidding. As we grow, we may change this to be bigger numbers or whatever. But we generally want something around five. A business that supports five planners. Yep. Um, working with somewhere around a hundred or so clients each. Um, ongoing and enough a team that's going to allow for, for that, which we're not sure exactly how many, um, how many people in the team you would need on top of the five planners and, and what have you. Um, that's kind of the numbers, what they might look like from the people point of view. Um, one of the things that we all talk about in the business or all in the program talk about is having a business that, um, that you could step away for say two months and the business would continue to run. Yeah. Um, so all processed, um, etc. And then on top of that, which is probably almost more important, but is, and Mark and I try to do this regularly on a Friday, but we want a business that's really fun to be in. We want to be able to, um, uh, yeah, be the uh, really enjoying what we're doing. Uh, we don't want to be, um, you know, really stressed about things and we, yep. you know, there are stresses, but we don't want to, we're not trying to create something that is, um, for lack of a better word, has t- is really painful to be, to be growing. We want to be having a cracking good time um, and helping clients out along the way. Love it. Okay. One final question. Why on earth did you call it Orange Wealth? <laughs> I thought you would ask this question early. <laughs> no, I, I was keeping that one for the end. Look, I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the true story. Is, uh, it started with Jason's previous business was called Peak Financial Advisors. It's, yep. shit it's a really shit name. It's too long. <laughs> and he had to spell it whenever he was giving his email out. So we had a few uh, rules. It had to be short, 
had to be memorable and we didn't want it to be the stuffy stereotype of financial advice businesses. Um, and easy to spell, easy to spell. Yeah, yeah. Wall so, Street Capital Partners is out then. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, we do you know what's out? A dere. Dere out. And that's all we have time for. <laughs> so we, we tried to find something fresh that could mean different things to different people. And, you know, when we started the business, we didn't know what, like our assumptions about the business have totally changed through the last three years. So the name has been pretty good for us and we really love it. Um, but it does feel fresh and it's different uh, and it's younger than what we think the stereotype of the industry is and it can grow with us, which is cool. Love it. And uh, as, as Kelly says, uh, makes the point, let's hope you never have to do a jingle that rhymes. Oh, yeah. Because you're, okay. you are staffed and nothing rhymes with orange. Nothing rhymes with orange, yeah, Although, yeah. Kelly, I'll tell you, there is, a, there is a mountain in Wales near where I used to live called the Blorange. That's my understanding, the only thing that rhymes, but obviously that's Welsh, so it doesn't count. Um, is there, Glenn says they're real focused on the target market following process. Do you have a, 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 an orange-coloured foyer? Do you have an orange-coloured curtain behind you? It looks like you're about... This by total chance because we're in a new office space and they just put it's a, it's a it's like a managed office space. They've just put this curtain in the meeting room, so I decided to turn from the white wall to this wall to help. <laughs> uh, now, our, what colour is our foyer? It's green. Floor green. green. It's yeah. green. Yeah. Nice foyer though. That doesn't work then, does it? Um, Glenn, uh, John says, "Great work. Loves your commitment to staying relevant, particularly your commitment to the engagement process and making the experience remarkable. Love that, John." Uh, Mark, great interview. Love your honest and natural persona. Such nice guys. Um, <laughs> you must see it. So get, seriously, every time I speak to, uh, you know, oh, you know, Michael and Jason, they're lovely guys. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been, it's, it's been mentioned before. Um, got a lot out of it, but mostly around building the team and how you've adapted the challenge. Mark says, thank you very much. Uh, gents, I'll, I'll wade in. Um, the things that, that I love working with you guys is A, the way you implement be the fact that you take total ownership of it. You're just like, right, mistakes and all, it doesn't matter, we're gonna get in there and you make it happen. But um, I just love the fact that you've built a business that kind of reflects your personality. You know, it's, you know you've, you've obviously got this great relationship that it's hard to believe sometimes you're not like best friends as well as brothers. But um, yeah, I think those are probably the three things and you can just see the stuff that you've implemented is um, you've implemented uh, with absolute commitment to get it done. And as a result, you've built a business which is just seems like from the outside, you're looking in, it just like seems such a enjoyable business to be part of. And there's challenges, but I'm guessing, I always get the sense that you actually really, really like what you do. Yeah, we do. We love it. I love, I love coming into work. It's great. Um, Elizabeth says, I heard the first Orange Wealth interview, uh, influential in joining Institute's program. There you go. Yeah, you, uh, gratitude. There is process and projects. Perfect, Elizabeth. La, uh, Pam says, love how you guys are having fun and so real and honest. And Kelly says she loved the role play. Delving deep makes sense. Role play is one of the most painful things to do, but you know what? It works. It really does work. Yeah. Cool. Uh, gents, uh, that's all I wanted to cover off today. I guess the, the key question is if anybody on the webinar uh wants to know more about you or if you know is there one thing you want them to do or look for or alternatively you know if they come across clients who sort of match your target market but they don't they don't deal with uh how can they how, you know how can they get in contact with you follow you whatever the case may be so uh email is probably the fastest way uh, michael at orangewealth.com.au or jason at orangewealth.com.au mm -hmm. um we are slowly, slowly, slowly working with a marketing company trying to build 
a YouTube channel out, uh, but it doesn't exist there in a way that you can subscribe to it yet. So I would love to put that out there today, but maybe another time. Um, okay. Yeah, just contact us on email. Uh, happy to have a chat with anybody. We love this stuff, right? So we can talk about this stuff the whole day. It's, it's our lives. It's what we do. Uh, it's not just a job for us. So, um, yeah. And you guys are in, you're in St. Kilda still? Or? We're in St. Kilda, yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So if anybody's in St. Kilda. Hey, yeah. I've never asked you, who's your team? Who's our team? Yeah. What do you mean? Do you follow the AFL? Uh, yeah, we're no, really. long supporters, so. Right. Uh, they just missed out this year, but looking good for next year. <laughs> After years in the dark. There's always next year. Any, any final thoughts, anything you'd like people to do or look out for? Anything you're particularly passionate about around what's going on right now? Um, I, I, I think for me, the, the biggest influence at the moment is that book that I'm reading. I, I check that out. It's quite an entertaining and uh, I've learned heaps from it about managing teams and people. So yeah, it's a, fun, it's a fun listen on Audible. So yeah. It is. It's really hard to tell the difference between Jocko and Lee. I'm confused by who they are. So yeah. They sound it's kind of weird when you think about like a really tough Navy SEAL his name's like Leaf. See why he changed the spelling, right? Um, I, I will say one thing, um, which we actually got from, Michael and I got this from one of our clients, um, but I think Stu, you've, uh, and he got it from Dan Sullivan, right? Yeah. Uh, whether you do it at the beginning of, of the year, so, you know, kind of January time, try to book out a bunch of holidays throughout the year. Yeah. That are pre-done, pre-in the diary, et cetera. Michael and I do it, uh, we do it a bit ad hoc, but we do get away um, uh, sometimes together, but sometimes separately uh, as well. And um, look at having something like that to look forward to kind of pre-done in the calendar, that was a really big thing for us over the last couple of years. And I think that um, whenever we both come back from our breaks, um, we, we have so much energy and we drive real hard because of it. So anyway... That'd be one thing I'd, I'd make a suggestion. Yeah, I think that's, I think I got it from Jack Delosa actually. And he said, go up into the mountains, hire a cabin, go somewhere where there's no phone reception and uh, spend three days. And it's usually the most productive three days of the whole quarter. I think energy recharge is also really important. Gents, thank you so much for your time. This has been even better than I thought it was going to be. Uh, what's on for the rest of the day? Uh, well, we're going to have Michael just come back from holiday. So I want to hear how the holiday's been. Cool. Um, and uh, I guess debrief on what's been happening for the last week or so. Sweet. Well, I will not take up any more of your time. Thanks again for turning up. Uh, uh, have a great weekend, gents. I hope it's an awesome one. Everybody who turned up, uh, thanks very much uh, for, for coming. And uh, Brian says, brilliant presentation. There you go, gents. No preparation, just on screen. Love it. Cool. I, I will leave it there, shall we? Thanks, mate. Cool. Take care. Thanks, guys. So that's it for another episode of The Finnovator. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Jason and Michael uh, and you got a lot from it. Uh, as always, if you enjoyed it, please, 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 please go away, go along, leave a bit of review, tell people what you like about it, uh, preferably a little bit of a written review. It kind of makes all the difference. Uh, that's it from me. I've got a lot coming over the next few weeks. Uh, it's now about this time that we tend to get a bit of influx of interest in uh, our program. So if if you'd like to talk about whether I can help you to build a better business and do it quickly, uh, reach out and let's have a bit of a chat and I'll tell you a bit about how I work and why it could be the right program for you. It might not be, by the way. Now, often I have a conversation with people and you know what I'll tell them is you don't need a coach at this point. I mean, you go and do this or you need someone who's got their skills, not my skills. So uh, yeah, 
sometimes I think it's best just to reach out, have the conversation and tell people the truth if they need something else. And that's kind of the way I've always operated. Anyway, that's it from me. I hope you've got a great week lined up. And as always, uh, if there's somebody you think I should talk to, let me know. Otherwise, I'll speak to you soon.